We've become Instant Pot ambassadors. Amazing kitchen appliance that's going to make it easier for you to cook healthy, save money and save time. It literally rethink the way you cook. You know, you literally pop a whole lot of ingredients in it and then you've got hands off cooking. Like I'll put a whole lot of ingredients in and then I can go do what I want and come back in 30 or 50 minutes later and the dinner's cooked. It's a great way. Many people are kind of afraid of a pressure cooker, but this is a new kind of advanced, it takes away the worry from pressure cooking. Because you're cooking in one pot, you literally only have one pot to clean up. And it's a beautiful way to have six portion capacity, so it's easy to cook for the family. Yeah, it's so simple to use, even for a novice home cook. I genuinely use it all the time. I make oat groats in the morning, I make dals, I make chilies, I make curries. And literally when I'm making the girls' lunch boxes, I'll pop a whole lot of ingredients in and schedule it to come on for when I come home and dinner's ready. Like it's, it's a no-brainer. We're working with them, we've They've given an exclusive discount. Where do people find out details? They'll find out details on the show notes for this episode. It's called the Instant Pot Duo Plus Whisper Quiet. It's their latest model. It's amazing. I use it genuinely. I use it all the time. I'm not joking. Link in our show notes. Wow, okay, it's action. Here we go. Uh, firstly, thanks to Mill everyone for coming. We're absolutely delighted, a little nervous. Uh, it's our first time doing this. We've had a podcast for a couple of years, and this is the first time we kind of thought, well, why don't we turn this into an event? Because... There's three amazing people, and it's a topic that's very dear to our heart. Um, as parents of five kids, and realizing our own not relationships together. No, not together, separately, obviously. Uh, oh, six. Oh, yeah, geez, yeah, six. I have another one. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> She's only five weeks old, so bear with me. Sorry, Sab. Um, yeah, so, so screens, it's a very sensitive issue. Like, I think of my own relationship and Steve's relationship with screens and social media, and it's you know, there's incredible pluses and incredible kind of, you know, challenges as well with it. So today is a conversation with three people who are incredible people who we admire and love and care for deeply. Um, and it's really an explore, an exploration, like there's no hard and fast answers, but it's really, they're very local examples of what's happening in parts of our own town and our own community. Uh, I think before we start, just as a little exercise, a show of hands. Hands up who use their phone less than an hour a day. This is interactive here. Well done, Theo Flynn. Yes, you don't have a phone. Great, we've got a few hands. Uh, more than one hour, more than two hours, more than three hours, more than four hours. Put your hand up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if anyone has their phone on them now, just open up and just have a look at your screen time, just out of pure curiosity, because we all like to believe we use our phone a lot. So if you just go on to, I know on Apple, there's just the screen time bit. Were you as accurate as you believed you were? You were spot on, Claire. Well done. Monitor daily. Very well. Josh? Two and a half. I'm two and a half as well. You're two and a half, yeah. Average of two and a half. Okay, very Three? good. Three? That's not too bad. What are you? Mine was mostly due to filming. <laughs> it was. Hey, Five hours was filming last week. Uh, 3.30. Uh, anyway, anyway, that's just, just a playful little thing. Um, so, so really to kick it off, we have three incredible guests. Maybe, um, maybe Josh, could you tell us about Rachel? Who Rachel is and tell us something quickly. <laughs> Better be nice. <laughs> well, this is Rachel Harper. Um, Rachel Harper is a principal down in St. Patrick's School, um, a very close friend of mine. Um, and I've gotten to know Rachel over the number of years, and especially in the last kind of two years while working with youth and really trying to promote, um, looking at the topics of kind of smartphones and uh, mental health within teenagers. Um, because I work in a school as well, it's been great to actually work together, which is, I guess, this whole, whole thing we're doing right now, but that we can work with kids. Um, obviously, Rachel would uh, look after the school of, of a primary school, 
uh, so younger kids and then I work in a secondary school so it's actually great to be able to to work alongside each other um to see the kids grow into the secondary school she um is involved within the youth cafe um lives in Greystones lives in Greystones um I wasn't going to say age or anything. I don't insult anybody. Well done, Josh. <laughs> well done, Josh. Uh, Rachel, do you want to do the same for Andrea? <laughs> Here we go. Tell my age. <laughs> don't know your age, actually. Um, Andrea, I've got to know Andrea over the last, I would say, year and a half, haven't I? Andrea um, is an incredible community person. Um, I would have come to Andrea talking about my concerns uh, with the children and just the anxiety levels. And we had a couple of coffees together uh, with Ross McParland. And uh, that's where It Takes a Village kind of started from. Um, but he does amazing podcasts and um, he is part of our committee with It Takes a Village. Um, and he's doing monthly workshops with the parents now. And um, he's a big hit. I think a lot of the mums come to see him. Big <laughs> <Yes>. savers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he has an incredible heart um, for young people and children and for the community in general. And he gets everybody together and that's how you get things done. So, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. And then, Andre, do you know enough about Ginger yeah, Josh? I know yeah. enough about Josh. I met Josh. <laughs> I do. I met Josh about an hour and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, genuinely, we met here and uh, Josh is amazing. I didn't know who he was and I didn't know what he was doing. I asked him, what do you do? Um, but Josh works up in uh, Temple Carrick, uh, both as a teaching religion, but also as a chaplain. And I had to ask, what does a chaplain do? And it's great. The great work he does, especially doing a lot of counseling with the children. Um, but over there, we had lunch in the Happy Pair, and it was great, the lunch. But the conversation was fantastic because we really got to, to share something that we really have in common, which is that understanding we're a different age group uh, i'm younger but it, 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 there's a different there's an understanding of what is and what isn't that we really need to look out for and i think in the conversation today josh will be able to elaborate a bit more on what is his knowledge and his experience with children of 12 to 18 every day so that's great knowledge i learned a lot already in the in the hour we met josh is also a local fireman Woo! oh Woo! yeah you want to see him in his gear anyway <laughs> I th okay, sorry. Uh, anyway, I think just to kick it off, just to go on a bit of a story arc, I think first of all, like when I think of primary school kids, I don't think of any issues to do with smartphones. I think, and I think of kids going off to school, happy, clappy, enjoying it, or I hate school, I hate homework. But it's, I didn't, it's only when we started talking about this more in depth that it, there's a lot more, I guess, effect of the use of smartphones on young children at the age of 12. I wonder, how do you, how do you see it expressed? Yeah. And I suppose it is important to note, like, we're not against technology here and it has a huge place in education and we all have our tablets and, and smart boards in schools. But certainly, you know, we could see as a group of principals that smartphones were coming in to not necessarily school. They were never allowed to have them in school, but they were coming into households, you know, with, with small kids. You know, we were saying some kids as young as eight and nine, you know, so that was a worry for us. Um, but we could see how children were, you know, at the click of a button, just coming upon information that was far beyond their years. Um, as a parent recently said to me, you know, you wouldn't let your child 
walk into a room full of strangers and leave them there, you know. And I suppose there's so much information out there for for kids at the click of a button and they are curious, you know, it's not always out of, you know, trying to be naughty or trying to, you know, look up rude things or things like that, but it, they're curious. Um, but we could see it in kids, I suppose, just the anxiety levels were on the increase. And I suppose we were just chatting over lunch there, you know, children um, just being more body conscious from a much earlier age, like eight and nine year olds, you know. Um, also, I suppose we would think about, you know, children being happy go lucky, but they were all more on edge, you know, about something changing in the school day or just, you know, the unknown. Um, and I suppose, you know, just chatting with a group of, of principals, we were saying that some kids were even down the senior ends, they were on um, calorie counting apps on their phones, you know, and things like that. And, you know, it was a, a combination, but we could definitely see it throughout the school with, with kids just you know I suppose just you knew by them that they were reaching materials that were beyond their years just in their conversations and talking and things like that. Wow and then Josh and for the older so Josh is a chaplain in Temple Carriage which anyone who doesn't know it's between the ages of 12 and 18 how, how would you see the negative side I'm sure there's lots of positive sides as with this and you know this podcast isn't about demonizing smartphones in any shape or form it's just more opening up the conversation and hopefully kind of shining light in different aspects of it. Yeah, so yeah, I, the smartphones are fantastic and iPads are fantastic. And in our school, we have every child has an iPad that they use. So I'm definitely like that. I'm definitely not here to say that they're terrible things. Um, but like Rachel, I guess I've just seen the impacts of what these um, these phones are doing and over usage of the phones. And I guess an uncensored access to the phone. It's not that the phone is the problem, but it's it's more that if we don't um, kind of guard it and we don't treat it with the respect that it deserves, I get to see the aftermath of that. Uh, and it's a, it's a privilege of that I get to meet with students every single day. And I guess over the last few years, um, I've been in the school for seven years. I've been involved with youth work longer. And I started just to see this increase in general uh, anxiety in students. That's something that we didn't really talk about before, but people came to my office saying, I'm just feeling really anxious at the moment. Uh, I'm struggling coming to school. And then we have students, unfortunately, who are unable to go to school because they're so anxious. Uh, we've seen an increase in, in mental health and unfortunately self-harm and, and, and things to do with that. Um, so really serious topics. And I, I guess, you know, I heard about them, I listened to it, and it's, I definitely noticed the increase in it. And then what I started to see, kind of think about, I was like, well, why? We need to look at why. Why is this happening? Uh, and the privilege that I have with students is that everyone thinks that teenagers are actually really hard to talk to and they don't open up. It's like getting blood out of a stone. I would disagree. Um, I think they actually are amazing that they are so willing to open up in the right circumstances. And they sat there and they've told me, so this is not just my research or anything. I'm here to tell you that what I have heard in sitting in front of teenagers. And they have told me that um, because of this um, access to the phone, because they've spent endless hours on TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat, uh, eight hours a day for a lot of students, that they are starting to see the effects and it's, it's causing them to have anxiety. Um, and I've seen it in many other topics um, in, without the school. But yeah, I've started to see that it's, 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 it's starting to put the, the two together that I've actually seen this rise in anxiety in all these different topics and then putting it to actually a lot of the causes can be from this uncensored um, use of a smartphone. Um, and so I've done all the research and just looking at it and kind of looking at it as a topic, um, it's become a bit of a passion to mine to help try to help and encourage students uh, and parents as well. Could you like, and I know it's very much, uh, it's your brainchild, Rachel, but maybe we could get Andrea because he hasn't spoken yet. If you could just talk about uh, It Takes a Village and what's, uh, what, what, what this is, what it's come from and what the kind of intention is behind it. 
Yeah, and I, I think the smartphone caught the, the headlines. You know, there's over 200 articles worldwide about the initiative of the the the, the, the code, the, the voluntary code that Rachel and the other seven schools put together here in Greystones. But really, it takes a village comes from exactly what Josh is saying, you know, giving the space and time for everybody to discuss issues and challenges. So really, the idea came from a conversation that Rachel had with uh, with the other um, um, principals to decide, you know, is it just me that sees this at the gates? Everybody agreed. They did a we did a questionnaire for uh, parents. It was over nearly nine hundred responses on what 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 were the challenges that they were presenting at the gates, and from that we thought, okay, what is the opportunity? We have a great opportunity to do something different than just you know than just another fundraiser than just come up with something to, that you know might have, might be quite finite. So the initial idea was to fundraise for uh, two play therapists. Um, but then we thought there's, there's more here we can do. So we decided we could put together a group of people. There's some wonderful people, many of them in the room. I won't name them all now, but they're, they're wonderful people and they're here. And the idea was to create an initiative that it gives a community of service you know, for the, the town to actually access services um, to deal with the challenges and the concerns that us parents may have, that teachers may have, guardians or children. And the idea and the, the mission that we came up with and what we're sticking to is to really create um, a, an environment of support and uh, an empowerment for, for all of us to support both from a, a point of view of digital awareness and well-being of the children. So the focus is the child. And what we were saying about earlier on, about it's not so much about what you're taking away. The phone is definitely one thing we're going to talk a little bit more about. It's more about what you create in the town. So what we want to do, uh, part of what we, we have created is uh, seven workshops. We had the first one last month. And the workshops are based on some um, on, on uh, topics and themes that all the schools got together. So every month, the first month is new beginnings. You know, it's new beginnings for us. New yeah, that, that was September, wasn't it? Yeah. Back so, to school, new beginnings, school, all that. Exactly. So we had a workshop about anxiety and change. This month is about friendships and connections. So we're going to have a workshop in uh, St. Bridget's uh, all about how to foster connections and how to create uh, friendships. The next one in November will be about digital awareness and uh, digital liter literacy with the lady from Webwise. So what we're doing, we, it's all about inclusivity, it's all about the, the town, it's not about any celebrities, it's not about any person. Rachel started, it's peer-headed, it, but it's not about Rachel, it's not about me, it's not about anybody, it's about everybody. And how the community can do something different. And that's the opportunity that Greystones has, Greystones and Delgany. But Greystones and Delgany are just towns, like many towns in Ireland and around the world, that are just growing. And there's growing pains with anything. So we're having growing pains at the moment in, in Greystones. It's getting very big. We can't cycle on the main street anymore. You know, this, but this is happening. But we can make a difference. Somebody can make a change, you can do something different. So the It Takes a Village is really coming from It Takes a Village to Raise a Child. And that's what we really believe, that if we can start to talk about, if we can have conversations about anxiety, about smartphones, about anything that it, some of us parents might have issues or challenges with, it should ease the, the conversation, should make life a little bit easier. So the teenager that Josh is talking to might have already talked to the teacher in primary school beforehand. 
that's what yeah. we're hoping to do. It's amazing. It really, really is. And we talked earlier about like Josh deals with, you deal with um, kids one-on-one -on -one that typically have problems and they're feeling anxiety. They're feeling the challenges of life that we all feel, but they're feeling at a more heightened level typically. And we talked about earlier, um, Rachel, about the importance of getting it upstream and kind of dealing with it upstream and going, okay, well, if we can somehow foster better relationships with technology and also so like, you know, a smartphone is really not the problem. It's more the symptom of the problem. Like it typically turns the volume up on, if there's an issue, it really heighten, heighten the volume. So what are kind of, as you see in a, in a primary school, which like I've got, both my kids were in your school and one is still in there. And I, I remember the challenges myself with Elsie's just gone to Temple Carrick, so gone to Josh's school. And that the challenge of when does she get a phone? Because lots of her friends have phones. And when can I get a phone? Why can't I get a phone? And, why? and, and the challenges of that as a parent is really, really tough. And I was, I was a hard no. I was, when you're 18, Elsie, when you're 18, you can buy it for yourself. That's going to get a phone. I hate you, Dad. And I was a hard line on that. I really was. And it was only when we went to, we went to see this lady. You know, we've been, myself and Jan, uh, my kids' parents, we've been separated for a number of years. And we thought, well, we should go see someone and talk about it. And we went and saw someone. We talked about it as, a fa as you know, mother, father, and the two kids. And the, the, the family psychologist talked about the importance of, you know, of phones being a, you know, you need to be open to it. You can't be a hard no about it. There's, it's only a symptom of a problem. It's not the problem itself. So through that conversation, she's got, we got, she has a phone now and we've put some systems around it. But I wonder if you could talk about like what you found in St. Patrick's as a primary school and talking to the other ones about, you know, smartphones and really technology and, you know, what you see around that and anxiety and whatnot. Good question. Um, and I think it is, it, it's all relating back to well-being and wanting the best for their children and their well-being. Um, and as a, a group of principals, we sat around the table and as we're all saying today, this These is just the seven one. local principals. Yes. And, or, yeah. Yeah. yeah Greystone schools. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and we could just see that the smartphones was something that was negative in their children's well-being. Um, and I suppose this is where it came about the voluntary smart code, where we as the eight schools are asking the parents, you know, to voluntarily, it's their choice, um, to consider waiting until secondary school before they purchase a smartphone at all for their kids. Um, and I suppose the strength in, in all of us working together on this and asking at the same time is that it becomes, the hope is it becomes the new norm for children that, you know, they grow up and they just realize that they won't be getting a smartphone until secondary school and they're all the same. And I suppose for kids, there's a sense of fairness there then to know they're not the only one with the strict parents or they don't feel like they're left out. And, and no parent wants their child to feel left out or to feel different to, to others, you know, feel excluded. So this is why we feel this model is, is good for the parents. It takes a lot of pressure off the parents, you know, and talking to parents in school, you know, particularly down the junior end, they were thinking, gosh, you know, things are they're frightening at the moment when my child in another five years is asking for a phone where are things going to be then you know so for those parents you know it's going to be the new norm that their child won't be getting one until secondary and then for the children if they go to the tennis club at the weekend or if they go to the rugby club or they go on a scouts trip or wherever they go they're the same as all the other children so it's just a new norm for them we hope if everybody you know continues to buy into this and then I suppose doing this model then as well we feel as schools and as principals that we have a responsibility of um 
sorry, if parents are, you know, trusting us and holding off to get a phone for their child in secondary, that we are working on the educational side of things and that we are doing the digital literacy with the children. So that's when we'll be getting in experts in their final year in primary. So when they're 12, 13, we'll be getting speakers in to talk to them about, look, in secondary, you'll probably be getting your phones. And these are some of the things we think you should know before you get them. And in a healthy way, you know, not to scare them, but just talking to them about, you know, when you take a picture, when you send a video, you know, different things that they're unaware of, you know, the consequences of it. And I suppose you can have a chat with a 12 year old, 13 year old much better than trying to explain to an eight, nine year old, 10 year old, you know, they're kids for such a short amount of time nowadays. And that's another thing we're seeing. Uh, they're growing up too quickly. So, you know, we're trying to get them to get off the off the screens and out playing, climbing trees, having fun, being kids, you know, face to face contact with their friends rather than on the phone. And was there much of a, a kickback? Like, have, I, have I, any parents gone, no, I'm totally yeah. opposed to this. I want my child to have a smartphone. Or, or, or is there a group of them Look, coming I together? I have to say, like... we, we were a bit worried about that when we were sending it out first. But I think one of the strengths was we um, we actually sent out a letter um, in each of our schools, the same letter. And we got all the principals to scan in their signature. So the same letter went out to each school saying, look, we're asking you under It Takes a Village. We're asking you, you know, we're looking at different ways to try and uh, encourage, you know, well-being in your children. And we feel this is one of the ways that will help by waiting until secondary school to get a smartphone. And we said our PTAs are going to be rolling this out in each of the schools and, you know, the reasons why. And at the bottom, then we all had our eight signatures. So if a letter went out from St. Patrick's and they were giving out saying, oh, Miss Harper, you know, she's very strict or she's over the top or you know when you get to the bottom and you see all the other principal signatures then they're you all have to, <laughs> they're all they're all it. strict <laughs> exactly yeah so you kind of think look there must be something in it so I think that really helped um, but certainly with the parents there, there was a sense of relief I think because you know certainly when the kids got to about fifth and sixth class in particular they were like everyone else has a phone I'm the only one I feel left out you know and I suppose as a parent you don't want to hear that do you, you know you don't want to hear that your child is feeling excluded so parents were giving in to it you know and chatting to a couple of the parents, particularly in, with fifth class kids so around the age of 10, um, 11, they were saying, thank you so much because it stopped us from giving in this summer. We would have got a phone, but now we can blame the schools. It's all the school's fault. You know, we would have got you on. <laughs> so you're the but... villain now. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, we don't mind that. But I really do think if you spend the time chatting to kids, the reason why you're doing this, you know, um, they mightn't like the decision straight away, but I think they get it. And again, as I said before, like there's a sense of fairness. If everybody else is doing it, then they don't feel, you know, so left out, you know. So there's definitely a lot of talking involved. And, and just by all eight schools doing it as well, it's got all the mums and the dads talking at the side of the football pitch. It's been getting pitch a huge worldwide attention. I know. Yes. Um, yeah. Connell there had a, an interview in England and Justine had yeah. an interview in New York. Yeah. And I'm sure you've yes. all had interviews in all no, sorts I of different No, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I haven't. <laughs> Still waiting for your own idea. I'm waiting for the Italian newspapers <laughs> to get in touch. But the, the one thing I meant to say, it, what we're trying to do, this is, it's not just me, Rachel, Gareth, Ross, you know, there's a few of us got together, but this would be open to everybody eventually. It's a pilot we're putting together. We met with the government twice. They're really interested. They're interested in funding the, 
the play therapist as a support to, to the, the parents. What is a play therapist? Just for anyone listening, like a therapist. It, therapist. Sorry, I always struggle with my it's, teenagers. It's, but it's play it's, therapist. Play therapist then is someone to help use the means of play to address issues that child exactly. might be having, such as anxiety. Exactly. But uh, the idea of the play therapist initially was thought out for the children, but then when we, the more we talk to parents and teachers, it become a support for the parents, teachers, guardian, as well as the child. And there will be ideally two play therapists for the eighth school. Now, when we met with the Minister for Health and Mental Health and also the Minister for Education, they're very keen on this to be rolled out, not just out of Greystones. So what we're doing, everything we're doing at the moment has been documented. There's a, there is an evaluation and research done by the Department of Social Studies in Applied Social Study in Manuth. And at the end of this year, hopefully, we'll be able to say, yeah, in, a community involvement does work this way. Oh, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. And so that's our commitment to the government to say that we're going to do this. And once this works, you can help us with the funding for play therapy. They're really keen to see this happening and they're really keen to roll this out across the country. So it is something that it can start from any community and it happens to be Greystones, but it could start anywhere else. And, and I think the key has been that eight schools are got together and Get rid of all the differences. I'm sure there's difference. I don't know what the differences are, but I'm sure there are. And, and said, no, this is important. The child is the key. How are we going to deal with this? You know. So, and just just the last thing, and then you can ask George a question. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> can <laughs> ask one of the other. <laughs> no, the last thing is, it's as I said, we just did one event. We did two events, and it was a great success. But not because there were people there. It's the follow up, the questions, and the f the people wanting to get involved with some amazing idea. So everybody has an idea, everybody has something they can add to this community. So the more we roll this out, the more we'll be able to give you kind of an idea of what, it, what is happening, the more we want people to get involved. We haven't figured it out yet, we're, we're nearly there, but it's, it really does take a bit. It seems yes. like it's so much more than like what's catching attention is that it's no smartphones in primary schools, but it's so much more. It's about trying to get that community participation, community involvement. And the more that is that, the more we can come together to raise our children collectively, the more we're going to have happier children and happier lives, ultimately. Yeah, and again, you, you can take the, the, the smartphone away, but if you have nothing else to give the child, yeah, just then what are you what, doing? What are we so, doing, Dad? What are we doing? Exactly. So the idea is, what can we create? The, the children don't want a smartphone. Yeah, you spoke about um, cycle buses, or what was it? Yeah, it, it just a wonderful initiative. I don't know, hopefully some of the parents are here today. There's a beautiful, I think it's called the cycle train. I don't. That's what I call it. There's about 30 kids every morning cycling from, it must be from Charizard or something. It's a Charizard, it's wonderful. Every morning we see them, there's 20, 30 kids, and there's two or three, four parents, I don't know, it's extremely safe. They stop the traffic, the kids cycling to school. So there's 20 kids or 30 kids that are cycling in the fresh air, because it must be two such a laugh. Three. And it's be... great. So those 20, 30 kids are not sucking traffic on their phone sometimes. You know, we put them on the phone because you know sucking traffic, get bored, you don't want to talk to your child or whatever. But it's it's happening. So people can make things happen. If if this, those 30 people can do it from Charles. If there's an alternative. I'm sure they can do it from another state. And it's not just here, it's everywhere. It's just it takes one or two people to go, okay, let's do something different. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. Um a question, at least something that I'm I'm going through right now. My daughter has turned 13 and she started secondary school and very much that question of smartphone and I haven't been quite so um, what's well, that well, word? Well, malleable well, as you I've been much more hard no um, and, and just a, a question which I know you, you uh, I've often turned to you to go Josh what age should I get my phone like how do I how do I manage this and I remember you said it's not what age 
do you want your child to access the internet? You said, at what age do you want the internet to access your child? And I wonder, could we talk about that, about first of all, what age do you think is appropriate for a child to get a smartphone? And I guess there's no right or wrong in this question, but you would all the experience of this in terms of dealing with the, the negative side of it. What would your advice be to anyone listening? Your thoughts, your really, thoughts. Your thoughts. Your suggestions. Yeah. My, my thoughts. Yeah. As a father of two it's, daughters. It's, and it's a very sensitive topic. So just to clarify, yeah. that there's no black and white in this and we're doing our best to... No. No, and it is, it's very, because I often say, I hear parents ring me up and say, oh, I lost the battle and I, I, I'm weak and I gave my child. It's not about that or, you know, there's no point in the fingers here because it is such a hard thing. I wish I could stand up and say, don't give your child a phone. And it was easy as that. I know the battle, that the fight that you're up against. Um, I used to say that when parents used to ring me, that one of the quick answers when a parent used to ring me and they had a, a, a little boy, they'd say, oh, he's, he's 14. At what age? He's fighting for a phone or he's 12 or whatever age he was. And he wants a phone. My quick answer was like, well, honestly, when you're okay with your child watching endless amounts of porn, then you can give them the phone, work away. And they're like, look to me. <laughs> and it kind of, but the, it was a shock factor, but it's the truth. I mean, if you want your child to have a phone un, and it's uncensored, they're going to be have access to a lot of pornography. Um, but what's interesting is my view is actually, I still hold that view very strong. Uh, and I know I said it to you, Steve, over and over again. Um, what age are you okay with your child accessing this uh, endless amount of uh, information um, that's uncensored? And into this world, you're opening a door for this child to enter into and you don't know where they're going is the truth of it. Um, you, you, you think you do because you have some block on your Wi-Fi. I'm going to tell you, that doesn't, they will bypass that pretty quick. Um, but my view has actually changed a little bit because of what I've heard in the last year. Uh, and it's something that's really struck me because it's always been about, I think a lot of our view is about, about your child accessing the internet. What age are you okay with your child accessing porn? What age are your child accessing this uh, world that we are unaware of and all the, the darkness in that internet or on online presence. And just recently, I came across a number of students and I, I just so you know, I know there's parents of Temple Carrick here, but I work with other schools and I've worked at youth. So I'm not going to use, if I use an age group or a year group, it will probably be wrong and I'll use a different school just to protect all privacy. Um, but I had a number of students recently and unfortunately they were victims of um, um, yeah, I can go into that story, but yeah, yeah, because I think it is, it's very important. I had an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old and uh, another fifth-year student, and they came to me in almost having a panic attack. Uh, it was very upsetting, and I thought it was a, a, some sort of anxiety, something like, oh, I don't know what the situation was. And basically, they had found that they were, one of them was on um, Snapchat and one of them was on Instagram, and they had friended uh, a beautiful girl and, and a, a male in a different situation of a different school. They knew friends in common. They lived in the Greystones area. They opened their profile. They had all the friends, their local sports teams. They had different locations in Greystones, and they made these friends. And the, the sad thing was, this lasted about two weeks, and then the conversations started to get more explicit. They started talking. Uh, it was a male student with another female presence that they didn't really know of. Um, and the conversations started getting more explicit. And then another few days later, um, the, the friend of theirs, his female friend, started asking for pictures. So they sent pictures back and forth, uh, nude pictures, which we see quite a lot in, in schools with teenagers. Nothing that surprised me. Um, but then just like that, once they were sent, um, this female female ended up actually being someone in Iraq had actually 
set up a new um, uh, WhatsApp group and an Instagram group. And they invited, I don't know, I think it was 150 students from that school um, onto that group. And they threatened to publicize the pictures of the student uh, if they didn't receive money. And this is happening over and over again. So my, the reason why I want to say that is one, just that, that this is happening. But two is that it's not just about your child accessing the internet. It's actually more about what age are you okay with this world accessing your child? When we look at um, the porn industry, the social media, these people pretend the, the um, social media bots that are pretending to be someone else, they are accessing your child continually. They're looking for it. I had female students say, on average, they would get three or four um, of these predators accessing them on their social media. So it's really to understand that it's no longer just about your child accessing it. It's actually, they are coming after your child um, for many different reasons, uh, sick reasons, for money, for different things I've seen. So it's really about, I guess, yeah, being okay with your child accessing that world, but them accessing your child, which for me with two young daughters, yeah, I was terrified by that. Um, and it's, it's it's a huge question, I guess. How does one navigate it? Like how do, like... And particularly it seems like social media, like, you know, like earlier you said TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram, like those are all social media platforms. And another friend of mine has the opinion, he's like, well, you should be 18 to access. Like, you know, he's very hard and black and white about it. Like social media, we found it's been great for business and great for meeting people, but there's also a very dark side of it. And I wonder what are your thoughts in terms of managing it or... Mm-hmm you know, particularly among adolescents that are very much finding themselves in the challenges of fitting in and, you know, wanting peer to, you know, getting peer approval and all these types of challenges. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a question that I don't know if you're going to have a definite answer because I think people want a definite answer that I'm going to say 18 or I'm going to say 16 is totally fine. Um, I think the age is so dependent on your interaction with your own child. Um, because I think that's the key point that if you have a great interaction with your child and it's open conversation, conversation that when you give your child a device, it's not theirs. They don't own it. Well, they might own it in, in person, but that you have this access because you still own it, that you take it up every Friday and you go through it, that you are having a conversation about what they're accessing and access at, at, in upstairs and, and, and things like that. So I think for me, it's more about putting rules in place to access a phone is the, is the key point. Um, if you give your child at 12, that's it's up to you. You're the parent. It's your child. I'm not going to stop you. But if you let your child have that phone at age 12, 13, and you don't monitor it, and you're letting your 13-year-old daughter go up to her stairs, up to bedroom, and they're sleeping with that phone, I can guarantee you, you will have issues. That child will face issues in their life. It may not be extreme. It could be small, but there will be problems around that. They will spend endless hours checking their um, checking their Snapchats and their Instagram and TikTok videos. Um yeah, so I, I so, so what would be so so straight away as a parent? Yeah. Like, what are the rules, Josh? <laughs> what rules do I need to be applying? Like, like, I've, heard, gen- I've heard the term digital hygiene, such as like no phones at the table, no phones in the bedroom, or but, no but phones. Nick, stop answering I, the question. I've heard, <laughs> and I just want to. I, I just, I, I just like what are some basic practices that people can apply? Yeah, I, yeah that we can apply to. Yeah, our that kids. we can apply. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I think there's there's so many that we can do. It's it's it seems complex, but if we can just take a few steps. Someone asked me, said, "What's your main goal of like even coming on this podcast?" Um, because there's so many people listening online and, and the audience here. And honestly, if we can get one or two parents to leave or friends of parents leave with just one or two tips and simple tasks like... I don't see that there is any valid reason that a 13, 14, 15, 16 year old should have their mobile phone on their room with the door closed. I, I think that is a red
recipe for disaster. Um, teenagers are brilliant, but I know as a 33-year-old, or in, and you're talking to a 20-year-old, when you have access to that internet, if it may be porn, whatever it is, if your door is closed and people are accessing you, how can you say no? I don't think we can blame the child. So phones in, in bedrooms on their own? Tablets? I, how about tablets? I don't know. Tablets? I don't think so. They, why would they be watching Netflix at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock at night on their own? Because it's, again, it's about access. If you watch YouTube and you watch download a video, which I've done, I've streamed something else, and all of a sudden porn pops up. So I just, I don't see, I'm sure there'll be arguments there to see phones and tablets in bedrooms, but it just, you have a camera facing you um, that you can access. Your friends are asking you, you're, you're, you're contacting a world that is, is ready to, to, to wants you as a person. Um, and I just, I don't see any benefit in this. Um, so phones in bedrooms upstairs, I, I'm a no. Um, I can have that conversation after with you. Um, and then, so there'd be a cue? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then monitor them. I think to give a child a phone, like if I put a phone on the tablet on the table there, there's no danger in that phone. Like it's, it's a phone. It's a piece of equipment. It's a brilliant piece of equipment. But if we give a child a phone, we have to treat that with the respect it deserves. So I think a simple thing of like, listen, this is your phone. If you're okay with having the phone, you, you really want it. Just so you know, I'm going to be taking it up randomly and you have to give it to me. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to take that phone back off you. And it's almost an agreement with your child. They're young adults. So I think you can make that a conversation with them. And when they accept that, then you can randomly take up the phone. And this is for your own good. You're going to hate me and you're going to argue, but I'm okay with that because I'm your parent. I'm not your best friend. Um, but when we take it up and then we we just do a quick little check of what's on their phone. And are we okay with their apps that are on it? And um, their screen time, it's, it's five, six, seven hours. That's too much, so I'm going to take your phone off you until we learn to treat it with respect it deserves. Um, like those small steps, I think, are massive. And it, it teaches your child to go, oh, okay, this device is actually, there's something to this. I don't know. I don't see the dangers, and I'm going to complain about the dangers because they're not true. They're not this. But obviously, my parents see them. So it just gets them thinking, too. Yeah. Wow. But Stephen, there's also, there's a, there's a physiological side to it. We were talking about earlier on, the addiction side to it, right? Uh, every, every app is out there is designed to be addictive, you know, from WhatsApp to TikTok to, and, you know, we process images 60,000 times quicker than we process text. And TikTok is that, that, that important because you, you, whatever, as a millisecond, they know what you're watching. So it becomes addictive. And we all know about the amygdala, the, the flight and fright and, and freeze. But what's happening, the more we look at uh, the screen, the more the amygdala gets stimulated. And what happens is the hypothalamus, uh, hypothalamus reduces. And the hypothalamus is the bit we need to understand, to learn, and to memorize things. So there's no wonder that the overstimulation causes problem, stress with children going through exams, because I, I don't remember anything. And that causes more stress. It causes the amygdala to, cre to, 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 to grow again. So there is a serious problem, physiological problem, as well as everything else that Josh talked about. Now, how does that sound when you listen to that? Yeah, it sounds spot on. Whew. But it sounds frightening. It's not a big it's words. A, no, but, but it also I, sounds frightening. What if I say to you, I made it all up? Well, I could say in my own experience, uh, you know, if I spent, when they first came out, I was definitely hooked into Instagram and looking at it. And I thought, these are all my friends. These are all my friends. And it was like, I don't know anything about these people, but I feel like I need to check in on my friends. And I noticed my relationship was not healthy with it. So, and I'm a... I'm you're not you're older than 32. Yeah. But, uh, but the point is, even what if I made all that up? I didn't make it up, by the way. I researched it. But 
the thing is, that's the other problem. We listen to the loudest voice, and we've seen so many problems now with these influencers, as, uh, role models, the shout the loudest, and you're 14, he's great, she's great, she must be telling the truth. That's the other issue. You know, are we really questioning what's on, what's told, what, what they tell us, what they, you guys tell us? Are we really questioning, or we just take it for granted? And that's another conversation that is a healthy conversation to have. Debate with your child. Have a conversation. What does that mean? Do you really believe what you just read that you know, Josh Barrington said? Is it really true? Question it. Because we're taking it, everything for granted. And the clickbait, it's just it's too easy to, 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 to follow. And our brain is just not designed to do that. We're still very young brain. And we're not designed. The environment has changed too quickly for us. Our brain is not designed for that. We need to take a breather. Uh, and we only design for 20 minutes, by the way. The flight of fight is only 20 minutes long. You are either eating or you run away from the tiger. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's it. There's no more than 20 minutes a day. You, that's all you have. But now we're doing constantly, and that's too much. Yeah. And just on that, the idea of addiction, I think it's really important in my experience is that when we see our kids and we see, um, we talk about the issue of, of teenagers spend so long on their phones, and a lot of the time it's, we're blaming the teenager that it's their fault. They're on their phone eight hours, eight hours. How could they spend eight hours on their phone? That's disgusting. What's wrong with that as child? As well as going to as school. As well as going to school. Like, how do they fit it in? What's wrong with them? That's not their fault. I mean, these, like we talked about the addiction side of it. You cannot blame the child to be addicted to a multi-billion dollar industry that has designed designed apps to be addictive and you've given them the phone uncensored and unguarded so of course they are addicted to this device um, and I think to put it in perspective is when a lot of the time we took myself my wife took about 20 teenagers to a camp one time and we were driving on the bus and we had the part of the rule is you take the phones up before you get to the camp and it's like it reminded me of like taking a drug from a child the tears and the screams of taking these things because they're going to break their Instagram uh, or their Snapchat uh, streak that they have with their friends and the fights and anyway we took them off and put them in a bag and zip locked it and after a week at the first day they were just so angry at me. How could you, you got me, you denied me my phone, my access to this. And something that has struck me with me for years is that when we left the camp after the week, we decided, you know, on the way back from the camp, you had to give the phones back, obviously. And four or five of the girls were absolutely devastated. They were in floods of tears because they didn't want to have their phone back because they actually had broken the addiction. And now you are handing them back device to get addicted to again. And they say, I'm, I'm free of it. I don't have those pressures of society and to keep up at a certain image with my friends. Like a, they felt like children. They, they, felt like kids. they felt like kids because they were having fun. They were in the water. They were doing high ropes courses. And now you're giving this device back to them. And so I think it's really important that we understand that it's not always the child's fault. Um, and it is an addiction. I think we should treat addiction with our phone like the same way we look at any addiction and um, with the respect and the knowledge that it needs to be. And it should be a discussion with the child as well. Uh, could I ask a question yeah. of the audience? Great, yeah. Please. Who's addicted to the phone? Hands up. We all are to degree. So that is the problem, right? We have we there's a, there's a new word now called technoference. Technoference is the interference between us and other people, between us and our children. So those four hours we spend on the phone, what are we missing out? What are we missing out about our children? They're growing up. What the, you know? We were talking about earlier on. There's less and less uh, family dinners. 
I couldn't believe it. That's no. one thing that I want to talk about: the demise of the family dinner. Like, because, like, and well, like, well, I, 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 th- I thought every uh, like a family dinner. We always grew up at a family dinner, and we were having a family dinner the other night. And Elsie goes, "Why do we have family dinners? None of my friends have family dinners." And I'm like, "You're joking, Elsie." Go away. She says, "Honestly, none of my friends have family dinners." And then I asked you earlier, and you were like, "No, family dinners no, is not really a thing anymore." Yeah. And looking at simple steps. Go have family dinners <laughs> once a week, once every two weeks, but just set it in stone. I was brought up in tradition. My mother, it just, no matter what, how busy your day was, you had family dinner. Um, and especially on a Sunday that it was just a guaranteed family dinner. And we complained about it. But research shows that family dinners are so important. How can you understand what your child is going through uh, and just to learn about your child and for them to learn about you and ask you how your work is? I know conversation is hard at teenagers, but if you don't give it that space, it's I can it will not happen. Um, and family dinners are so important. Um, I cannot, yeah, I cannot emphasize that point more and more. Good yeah. one. Good and it doesn't, you're right, it doesn't, I talk to endless students um, and I say, do you mind me asking, like, uh, and I know families have, have struggles and there's different reasons for not having a family dinner. It's not always easy, but I, it's, I don't, I'm trying to think if I actually have met a student who that, has That family, actually has one regularly. That has a regular family dinner. I, I don't know. I've met with hundreds and I don't know many. Well, I feel very traditional in old school. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. um, I'd love to talk about the importance we talked, we touched on our, uh, earlier about the importance of early initiatives to kind of help with as we reach secondary school, as kids reach secondary school and as we become adults, that earlier interventions will help us, you know, deal with anxieties that and uh, that a phone might kind of exasperate and amplify. And like we live in Greystones, most of us, you know, we all live in Greystones and I'd say lots of people here live in Greystones and everyone in Greystones is living their best life according to their photos on Instagram and whatnot. But the reality is that all of us have struggles. We all have struggles and particularly as parents, it's really, really challenging. And I know a a serious part initiative of It Takes a Village is that kind of creating spaces for parents to talk to one another about how challenging it is, particularly dealing with smartphones and peer pressure and all these type of things which which just are inevitability of growing up. Yeah, I think that's so important just opening up conversation amongst parents. You know, it's it's not easy nowadays bringing up kids. You know, everybody has their challenge, challenges or their struggles, but it's I suppose normalizing that we talk about it a bit more, you know, and I suppose at a primary level we're trying to do that with the kids. You know, if they're having a good day, we celebrate that as well, just as much. But if they're having a bad day or if they're anxious or if they're upset about something, that they feel open to to talk about it. And I suppose then that feeds out to the parents, like you're saying, sometimes it feels like, you know, you can be the only one struggling or everybody's living their best lives towards, you know, even today with this, you know, talking about, like, we all have concerns, you know, um, there is anxiety out there amongst um, children at the moment, but what are we going to do about it? It's keeping a positive side on it, you know, that we're all being active in this. And I suppose that's where the community comes in as well, do you know, that we're all working together as a community. So we do our part in schools, you know, principals, teachers, parents and then the wider community as well that we're all looking out for the children in our area you know so I suppose if you're you know if we have the different themes going on each month that everybody's aware of those themes you know uh, one of our themes is going to be you know winning and losing is is okay you know both you celebrate you know so I suppose the sports coaches get involved there and we really celebrate that and you know shopkeepers everybody knows the themes and I suppose for the kids then they feel 
that everybody is looking out for them. You know, sometimes as kids, they feel, oh, the adults always give out when you're doing something wrong. But it's it's turning that around as well. It's spotting the good and, you know, celebrating that. And, you know, that kids feel comfortable then that if things are, you know, upsetting them or not going their way, that they actually can go to an adult or go to somebody and talk about it openly. And again, the same with parents that you know what if they are struggling that they talk to other parents and do you know nine out of ten times you'll find that the parent that you're talking to actually is struggling with their child or something is happening so there gives that kind of sense that you know we're all in this together um, and there's no right or wrong answer but we're going to support each other um, and that's what it takes a village is all about you know I suppose it's you know helping to support parents to further support their kids you know and that we're all doing it together the name is very apt yeah it is it's great yeah. boredom on the topic of boredom like uh, smartphones are constant stimulation and we kind of live in this hyper stimulated environment and i wonder if we could talk just even together about the topic of boredom and the importance of boredom and the importance of boredom for creativity for kind of just that kind of struggle life there is always struggle and if we don't build in that resilience we tend to we're much more in a position to when we find that position we're much more likely to struggle with our anxiety and not know where to take it so i wonder if we could talk about boredom and the importance of that or but if you agree with the Steve. Other, the other yeah. thing, <laughs> with, the, the thing with boredom is going back to what I was saying earlier about this overstimulation. The brain needs the break. The brain needs a break. Needs that. You know, think about your day on Friday. How much of your day was spent in silence? Very little. With, you know, we're bombarded daily. You know, we go home, we watch Netflix or whatever you do. I don't know. This, this, we're constantly bombarded. I was on the train the other day and I was reading a book. And it's a beautiful train journey we have here. You get to look at the sea every now and then, so you take a break. But there was a girl beside me, and no judgment here, by the way. Just I was just with the corner of my eye. She spent the full hour on, I don't know, could be TikTok, Snapchat. That is, is overstimulation. There's no boredom. There's nothing you can think about. I went for a lovely run this morning with a good friend of mine, Kevin, is here in the audience. And we got up to the, the cross, and it was so quiet, so silent. We actually stopped talking, apart from the fact that we were knackered. We couldn't get up. <laughs> But when coming back down on my own, that's where a lot of thoughts happen. That's where a lot of creativity happens. That's when you start to think, what can I do next? And it's the same for children. You need to leave them alone to, with the boredom to allow them to, to figure out what is next. And if we don't do that, but none of us now are bored. You, know, you don't detach from anything. You just constantly go from one device to another or from one noise to another. So although we're talking about children and technology, I think we always need to go back to ourselves and how much of our time is spent not being bored. You know, how much of our time is spent to distracted by, by that WhatsApp. I worked with some clients, as I was saying earlier on, in the, in the coaching business and I have, and they, they said WhatsApp has become the biggest problem for them. They can't, you know, the moment they start to check one WhatsApp group, that's it. Two hours later, they're still checking messages and, you know, this tunnel that brings you into the YouTube or whatever it is. So. I think the moment we can detach from it, the moment we can be bored with it, then it's easier to be bored with our kids and create something out of it. And you know, you went off to, to have a cycle with your kids before you came here. Half an hour. It whatever. was chaos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but we did it. 
yeah. and they enjoyed it for the whole five minutes. You know, I was just <laughs> going to say on, on that point as well that, you know, kids, they they enjoy the simple things, you know, that sometimes parents put a lot of pressure on themselves trying to do these extravagant activities or holidays or different things. But, you know, kids enjoy just spending time with their parents or with their friends and going to the beach or going for a cycle or going for a walk or, you know, and I suppose that's the community that we live in, that we allow for that, you know, that we were talking earlier about, you know, on the green, the different parents are supervising the kids and creating that community on their on their green, you know, where they live. And there's so much that we can do, so many simple things, you know, and, and just even letting the kids go out to the garden with a ball and, you know, making up their own game or, you know, just giving them that space to be creative. You know, everything doesn't have to be organized or scheduled, or, you know, that they don't have to go to some activity every afternoon because that can bring a lot of pressure to the kids themselves as well as parents. You know, just giving them space just to be kids and just to climb trees or muck about or, you know, just enjoy the simple things and, and let them get creative. Yeah, yeah. I remember we used to play British Bulldog and tip the can and every now and again kiss chasing. Yeah. And, uh, and they were such simple games. Yeah, but when I think yeah. back in my childhood, it's like, I just remember the joy, like the yeah. absolute fun in a summer's yeah. evening out there trying to get the can. Like it was really yeah. basic, simple games. <laughs> and I look at I look at my kids and it just life is like a, as a parent, you're kind of, you know, we're all looking at movies and social media and this, this idea, oh, we need to go on holidays or we need to have these big, massive moments. But realistically, it's the simple, small little moments. So you kind of have to remind, I have to remind myself so often that it's it's not these big, massive, we're going on a trip to France. It's more the daily, how can we, you know, the simple little moments and prioritizing that and making time for that where you're not looking at your phone. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, my little philosophy of one hour holiday. Uh, you know? Yes, yes, that. tell us about that. This is wonderful. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's a very simple mindset where you, whatever you do on a holiday, you can do it every day at home and spend an hour doing whatever you want. And that hour could be any time. You could break it down in 20 minutes or whatever. But if you like to read, if you like to have coffee, if you like to whatever, play football, just do it. And do it for an hour every day. And what it does, it changes your perspective in, in, on life. Like we were saying to earlier on, most people go on a holiday for two weeks and you spend the first 10 days winding down and the last five days freaking out because you're going back to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very true. Yeah. That's, that's if you don't get sick, if you don't get sick for the first week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you go on a holiday every day, as I do, um, what happens? First of all, it's 15 days a year. So you get an extra two weeks, which is Woo-hoo! brilliant. That's fantastic. But it, it, it's genuinely, it's a simple way of looking at life and from a different perspective. So you do little things every day, little things. I'm talking about saying to Rachel, if you're walking out of the house and you're turning right every day, try to turn left, try to go the other side of the road, try to look at your house from a different perspective. You, your brain gets used to changes and it goes, oh, that's nice, that's interesting. We use the routine where society has created a society that we need to get up in the morning, go work five days a week nine to five all of these things go to school go to university and it's just too much we're not designed to do that creativity gets stumbled so we really need to allow our kids to be creative and whatever that is so give them the space to go let's do something for half an hour that we never done before whatever it is you're you're like you know obviously if you like drinking on holiday don't go drinking with your kids but just (laughs) just keep it simple but whatever it is but it's just it's just a small every day and going back to what, what we could do as a, as a community, you don't have to change the whole town today. But if you live in a cul-de-sac, work with that cul-de-sac. Is it 10 houses? Do something with those 10 houses. Things will change. The next cul-de-sac will go, geez, look at what they're doing, it's great. 
maybe there's a 10 kids on the, on the green, maybe there's 20 kids on the green. Start from there. Don't start, like what Josh was saying, what is the one thing you can do? Just do whatever you can. And just, all of us can do something. You might be interested in art, you might be in football, in GIA, in tennis, I have no idea, or it doesn't matter. Whatever you can do, you can do. You can control that, you can influence that. And that's the important thing. And then you have to accept that society is different and it's going to take a while to change. We're not going to change the world tomorrow, but I can guarantee you're going to change your, your neighborhood very quickly. And, and what you're talking about when you're talking about change and really in the topic of solutions is kind of going, okay, well, these phones draw us in because maybe we aren't fulfilled in some other aspects. And what, what would, it takes a village is really to get us to talk more about some of these challenges and whatnot. But also what you're suggesting, Andre, is that within our community, for example, Greystones or wherever anyone listening is, is based, is kind of going, what can we do to engage our kids and ourselves, you know, that we can have, that our lives can be more fulfilling in the things that matter rather than what we think, what we're told it matters, such as money and, you know, social status. Because even I, I've spotted myself when I'm like, often I'll do stories or like social media, little videos about my life. And I find when I'm lost in the moment, social media is feckin' long gone. And I've kind of noticed that the more I can create a life where I'm in those moments, I don't really want to share it. It's like, no, this is the moment. And I think that's for, for us all. I think the more we can create a life that's fulfilling, then we're less likely to be addicted to these things. And they're but wonderful. But, but the life is fulfilling. So there's the longest studies ever done on happiness. Is the Grant study? The study for 70 years, a study a number of, of people from the Boston area. Uh, initially, unfortunately, only men because at the time that's the way they saw it. But then they introduced women in the in the study, and the study shows that the the the, the biggest uh, factor in happiness is relationships and connections. That's been done. And it's the big longest study over 75 years, studying this group of people. And I would say uh, I was saying to Garrett there were at the break. Think about your happiest moment. Think about it for a second, your happiest moment. Were you on your own or were you with somebody? It was on my one hour holiday. No, sorry. <laughs> you were probably with him. You're just a, <laughs> my wife says it with my wife. <laughs> but we're, happiness is not a solo pursuit. It's not a solo pursuit. Happiness has been proven over and over that um, it's interpersonal. Is where it's at, you know. And, and the unfortunate thing with with uh, social media and old mobile phones, smartphones, is that you become more and more insular. The more you're on the on the phone, the less you understand what's going on around you. And I mean, the fact that they call it friends and you know friendships and connection, there's a reason for it. They weren't just coming up with a name. You know, you have friends. You have a hundred thousand friends. You don't have a hundred thousand friends. We're designed to have a maximum of six people in our lives by the time we're. We're nice and old, six friends. So that's all you need, six good friends. You might have a lot more acquaintances when you're young, but six good friends. So, and we were talking about the relationships, how a lot of teenagers now don't have a relationship anymore. And when yeah. you say relationship, you like, like when girlfriend, boyfriend, girlfriend, boyfriend, 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 boyfriend. Yeah. It's becoming quite a rare thing, yeah, yeah, right, that, Josh? Could, could, we, could we talk about that, Josh? Yeah, please. To. Sorry, I just, yeah. so when we were when we were growing up, you'd like you'd ask someone out, and then you have a girl. You have a girl. Like in our case, it was a girlfriend. You had a girlfriend. Oh my god, you got to. He's going out with someone. You had a girlfriend. What's yep. the story now? 
Yeah, no, I've definitely seen and noticed in that, like it's it changing, and I guess uh, you see that the the level of commitment is is gone. Uh, that they don't want to commit to many things in life. That you wait for the next big thing before you commit a hundred percent, because God forbid you commit to something and then another party comes up that actually has more of your best friends invited, so you don't commit to it. And it's the same with relationships. Um, I was talking to just two students recently, and I was like, "Oh, are you still are you still dating that person?" And they're like, "Dating." And I was like, yeah, you still going out with them? No. And I was like, oh, sorry, did you break up? No, like we were never together. And I was like, but you've been together. I was like, oh, we're like, we're seeing each other. Oh, okay. And so, but it ends up, they were actually with the same person for almost a year, but they didn't want to call themselves boyfriend and girlfriend because it just, it excludes them from everybody else. And it's almost a commitment thing. Now, obviously, teenage, the, this, the wording always changes and it always will. Um, but there generally is, from looking from the outside in, there is a bit of a commitment thing there that they don't fully commit. And I see it causing massive issues, not just this idea of, are you able to label a relationship boyfriend, girlfriend? a girlfriend, girlfriend, whatever you want to call it. But it's actually more than that. It's the idea of not fully committing to anything. Uh, and we see it in sports teams. They sign up to a rugby team and they give it everything, but then they not quite give it everything because they want to make sure that they are able to do something else. Um, they're not fully committed to anything. Uh, and I think it's a huge cause of social media. It's um, almost like choice paralysis. Yeah. You know, that like you go in, if there's too many options on the menu, you're like, I don't know what to pick. Whereas if it's three, go, I just have the pizza. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and it, we use the word FOMO. They have fear. They do have a general, like I have a fear, uh, but a lot of people have a fear, not just teenagers, a fear of missing out. They don't want to miss out on something. Um, and, you know, when I went to a party, um, bringing it back to parties just away from the boyfriend girlfriend but it's the same concept when I went to a party you went to that party you had no idea what was going on outside of that party it was just all invested in the party with your mates and your friends all there but now you are connected to everything well you're connected I use that word loosely you're connected but you're not connected at all and so when you're at a friend's house and there's three friends three girls at a house and they're invited to sleep over whatever it is well now you open up you open up your snapchat and you open up the map and you see 15 of little emojis of your friends in Applewood Heights. And you're like, oh, I didn't get, did you get invited to that? No, I didn't get invited to that. Oh, I did, but I turned it down. Are you, and you were, and you question why they're anxious? <laughs> of course they're anxious. I would be anxious if I kept following my friends and seeing that they're at different places. And so you didn't, they don't want to commit to it because the fear of checking Snapchat or whatever it may be, that there actually is something else going on out there. Um, and God forbid I miss it. Wow. Yeah, so uh, slight, slight gear change and something that before no. we open up to Q&A, I just want to talk about porn and phones. Because and solutions and, around and it. And solutions around it, because I, I don't know if there are solutions around it, but anyway, just to talk about it, because it's changed kind of the, the expectations of what sex is. Sex ultimately being intimacy and two people sharing the most vulnerable aspects of themselves physically, whether it be emotionally or not, that's aside the point. But I wonder if you could talk about porn, because you and yeah. have done research and work on this. Yeah. I think you ask about ask this every time I see you. And yeah, uh, yeah. first. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to make you feel pretty awkward and terrible, but um, it's a really important topic. And it's I said to my students at class, either it's like I'm really passionate about porn, and they all started bursting. I was like, maybe it's not the best thing for a chapman to say they're real passionate about porn. But I'm passionate about talking about porn. Um, and I use the analogy of uh, it's okay, it's great to laugh because it breaks the awkwardness of talking about sex and porn and wanking, whatever it may be. But um 
I deal with it within students. So if I'm, I'm here to talk on a podcast, I'm dealing with it every single day with students. So I'm okay to talk to grown people in this audience. Um, so if you find it uncomfortable, imagine what it's like for myself and my colleagues in school when you're actually faced with a 16 year old and you're hearing the stories face to face with them. This might feel uncomfortable to you, but it's, I'm telling you, it's a lot more comfortable for me. Um, and I used the analogy actually recently to a bunch of, to my class, and I said it's like the cigarette company. Marlboro brought out cigarettes when they were first uh, introduced, and they actually brought out cigarettes for asthmatics. And they said it actually reduces asthma, it reduces stress, it keeps your concentration. They thought it was fantastic, and so people up, took up smoking because it would help asthma. And it sounds insane that you would say that smoking how to design cigarette for asthma asthmatics. And to me, it's like the porn industry. In cigarettes, we didn't see it. Everyone smoked them but nobody put the two together that actually cigarettes has increased in 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 lung cancer and um, because of cigarettes and it took years to put it together um, and to me this is what we're dealing with porn we have an increase in all these issues and we we're starting to put it together that actually porn it can be and i believe it is causing massive problems um, and i think we're at the tip of the iceberg i don't think we have fully seen the aftermath of what um uncensored porn has uh, my colleague in 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 school He's done so much research on this, um, and I can share all the links that he's done um, on it. But when we started uh, looking at this idea of, of porn, um, and bear in mind, this is not a topic that I said, oh, I'd love to talk about porn to my students. It was actually brought up by students. Why don't we talk about porn? Because it's affecting us. It's affecting me, Mr. Barrington. I need to talk about this. So we, we decided to actually look at it. Um, and we looked at some of the, the, the amount of porn that people are watching. And then students said, well, what's wrong with that? It's fine. Everyone's watched porn. And so we said, well, is, is it fine? So what are some of the problems? And it was just it was actually, it was heartbreaking, but it was really encouraging the openness that these students had. Um, and students, like to go back to your questions, what are some of the impacts of it? The expectations of, um, of expectations when it comes to a sexual relationship with teenagers has been completely altered and, uh, because of the amount of porn they're watching. And not just the, the porn in general, but the type of porn. Um, I was talking to my class recently. I said, when you open up page three of the newspaper at the start, it used to be you know, a nice image and that would be amazing. But what happens in, like with any addiction, you get used to that level of what you're watching. And so when you watch your first um, images of porn, you actually get used to that and so you're watching more and more advanced porn more explicit porn um, and just a um, bit of research that I've done and my colleagues have done is that 90 96 percent of porn now has acts of physical violence and emotional abuse and so you're wondering why we're starting to see that. And when I talk to students about expectations with when it comes to sex that we would constantly hear well I'm you're expected to be choked and I, I, I was shocked I was like sorry explain that to me more and it kept it kept on coming up this is one not just one student we had these a, a list of expectations when it came to having sex with somebody and it was really really explicit um i won't list them all but it was really it was actually it was shocking but it was actually heartbreaking as well um and i said where are you getting all these ideas from why is this i don't have these expectations and you shouldn't have why why are you getting these well, porn and a huge percentage of people are watching porn for education i said well you're are you talking about it at home? No. So where are you learning it? What, online. And so when we go back to this idea of a phone and with the porn industry, 
you're giving your child access. And if you're not teaching your child about sex and relationships and drugs and whatever it is, they will try find it. They will find the answer somewhere. Um, and we have seen that they're finding the answers to all their questions about sex through the porn industry. And I don't have to explain how terrifying that is if they're looking for watching porn to find out what should sex look like and they're opening up their porn sites. Um, I don't. I can go into a lot more detail, but well, no, no, day. I think we've had enough. Um, so, yeah. in terms of solutions for that, is to, is to solutions. It, no, just no, no, no. <laughs> solutions. I remember when we were like twelve, and mom and dad set us down, and we were like giddy little school. Well, we were literally schoolboys, but going, um, we're going to have that talk around the birds and bees, and we we're like, <laughs> oh my god, he said penis. Um, but is it to you know go beyond our Irish guilt and our Catholic guilt and actually have the courage to sit down and have a conversation with teenagers and to talk about what are sexual expectations? expectations what is sex how does it fit in you know a healthy life or a wellness life is it is it that or is it to many people just leave it to the school and expect the school to do it yeah and it actually ties in perfectly with it takes a village this whole idea because parents often come to me that the idea of talking to their kid about sex of course it's uncomfortable and the child is is just sick to their stomach because their dad is talking about sex the mom's talking about sex but just because it's uncomfortable, we've gone from uncomfortable, well, let's not do it. My, my teachers in school, they're definitely going to do it. They have to do it. So it's their job because they're going to teach it. And we're saying, well, actually, it's not really our job. It's the parents' job. And it almost goes in this vicious circle. And the poor teenager's going, will somebody please teach me about sex? And if no one is, I'm going to teach myself. Um, and I, yes, the answer is, why shouldn't we talk about it? It's completely normal to talk about their kids. And I think we should talk about it in an open, honest way. In a um, car so they can't get out. Yeah. <laughs> Lock the doors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think if we break it down into just a general conversation and... Um, it, it can look different for every family and everyone has their own views on, on, on sex and intimacy. Everyone has their own views on it. But I think it's just really important that a conversation happens because if it doesn't, they will learn. And I have seen the tears and the heartache uh, and the just absolute rawness of when there is no conversations at home, there's no conversations in school. So a 17-year-old goes out and does what they think is normal. And I've seen the aftermath of that, and it is devastating. And so I think if we can just, just start small, it doesn't take massive steps. Just say, listen, talk to your child. Listen, I know this is uncomfortable to you, but I feel like I need to, I'm your parent. I want to talk to you about sex and what you're accessing on the phone and what you may, even if you don't want to stop them watching porn, what you see, I, that is not necessarily normal it's not what you should be doing it shouldn't be expectations and it goes into this idea of a village that it's not just one person's job if we can actually get if i can harp on to the kids about it but then when they go home their mom and dad are saying the same thing they're going oh actually okay there must be some truth about this and one of the really interesting things i've found working and talking about topics like this with drugs sex porn addiction whatever it may be is that the child wants it they want to have a conversation. They may not say it, but they are dying for someone. Even, to... even if it's as awkward as you could possibly imagine, they still want to. Yeah, and they'll give out to you and they'll complain and they'll probably storm off to the room. But deep down the next day, they'll say, well, I know my mother cares. I know my dad actually is trying here. And I think from my experience, I see it on the other end that parents think they're protecting their kids by not making them feel uncomfortable, make it, they don't want to make their child feel anxious and all that. But I've seen it that they kind of actually just wish they just had general parenting when it came to that. So yeah. And wow. if I could add to that, a parent of the children that have gone through the schooling, they're now in a university and work, um, 
and I mentioned to you earlier on the, the, the slamming doors, you know, the door slams between 12 and 16 and 12 and 18, you know, you're doing nothing, you know, nothing as a parent. And parenting is aspirational, as I mentioned the other night, you're never going to get it right. So that's, that's the reality, but you do your best. But you're absolutely right, Josh, if you sit down, it's the most awkward conversation. You're sitting down your son, you're sitting down your daughter, but they want that conversation. And you need to really understand that the children are fantastic. They have a fantastic brain, they have a great, a great capability, great skills, great knowledge at any age. And you really need to kind of put yourself aside and say, okay, I need to listen to my child. What does he or she want? Because we have this protective you know, clock. You know, we want to make sure that they're they're safe, and with that, sometimes we impinge on what they have to say. So to give it a time to to listen, and sometimes it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. It, it doesn't feel right. You know, talking about sex or addiction or smoking or whatever it is at fourteen, because you have this older brain and you're dealt in a certain way. You really need to let go and say, okay, what has she, he or she has to say? Because they, if they can talk to Josh in school, they can talk to you. You know, and they should be talking to you before they're talking to Josh. And that's Very really good. the big difference. Yeah, totally. Uh, on that note, let's open it up to the audience. Let's do Q and A. Uh, maybe I'll. Is there a run a mic, or do we just shout, or how we how best are we to do this? Maybe we shout. Oh, there's a mic. There's uh, this is Paul. Thank you, Paul. So, any questions uh, at all? Please don't be. Oh, there's Gareth. Good man, Gareth. For Josh, uh, uh, principally, but um, over the last five years, have you seen a change in the let's say the well-being profile? or the social skills profile of kids coming from primary school into secondary school? And if so, what, what has changed? And I suppose I'm linking it to technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, from my experience, I've seen it enter into the schools much, uh, into their teenagers' lives, the idea of technology much younger. Um, when I first started, we actually, myself, my colleague, Owen Cleary, he's done so much work in this. And we started looking at the idea of like, maybe we should stop getting phones completely to any teenager within school, because it, it seemed that it was actually kind of first to second year that they were introduced. And now it's creeped into the primary schools. Um, it's, it's, it's not only, and then it was, you know, two years ago, it was sixth class. And we need to target sixth class because they're actually the age that they're introduced into technology. Um, and now it's going into fifth class and actually potentially fourth class. And so it's creeping all the time into the younger year groups. And I think when talk about like the issues of that, because it's one thing to say, here's the pro here's like the issue to kids are getting younger to access the phones. Some, a lot of kids would be like, well, so what? It's great. Um, but it's looking at the problems. And yes, it's the answer. We are seeing, we're seeing more um, just social media bullying, we're seeing anxiety with school refusal in younger year groups. We have students unable to attend school. And it's not just because of one thing. I'm not, I'm not simplifying it because it is a really complex thing. Um, and in, when just, I'm not going back to porn, don't worry. But the average age for a child to be introduced to porn is 11, just an 11 and a half, if not younger. And every year it gets younger. And so the problems are starting at a much younger age. And so we're Fight, not fighting a losing battle, but we're trying to keep on top of it and it's getting younger and younger and younger. Um, yeah. To just add something to that, a very anecdotal story is that as like we've had the happy pair for nearly 19 years, nearly 20 years. And I remember back, uh, we've seen over the last 20 years, pretty much just uh, young kids' social skills degrading. Like, you know, that to, to talk to people, being brave enough to interact with people. Small talk. Small talk. It was that like to read a customer and actually understand the social cues and whatnot. And we found this definitely being, now it's very anecdotal. It's N equals one cafe over there. And the, the people we've had working with us, but it's definitely been something we've observed over time. 
and a rise in people being sick due to anxiety regularly. My question is, if you give a first year the phone for the first day when they get into first year and they get landed with this piece of technology, is it intended that the tech sessions that are happening in the various primary schools is to, to help smooth that transition? Because the feedback I got was that if a child isn't given the phone until they get into that first day and they don't even know what to do with it. Um, so that's the question, I suppose, how to manage that. Yeah, um, it's a very good question. And I think when children go from sixth class to first year, it's a huge leap anyway, and there's so much change. So that's what we feel as a group of eight principals. We have an obligation there that we will be getting training in the last term for the children, uh, digital uh, literacy with them and just talking to them about how to maneuver their phone and just, you know, how to use it as well as just things for them to be aware of, you know, where their videos or photographs can go and, you know, what Josh was touching on there as well. So that is that's a big part of our sixth class program, and that's where we're we're going and where we're fundraising for and trying to find funds for that because we really do feel that we should be getting experts in to to talk to the children. And I suppose that's the other thing in the primary years they are more open. I feel sometimes do you know the way to ask questions are not so self conscious, um. So we need to really work with that, and uh, we really need to you know ensure that children feel comfortable to ask those questions. And I know I'm shocked as Josh is saying that they're they're looking at porn at 11 but you know it is a conversation we should be having with kids by the sound of it in fifth and sixth class so again I'm already thinking of our monthly uh, talks for the parents but it might be that we have you John coming to talk to them. <laughs> um, but you see that's what it's all about the community coming together and I suppose you know we do actually as Andrea said we have a, a digital literacy workshop coming up in November so we'd encourage the parents to come to our um, monthly workshops because they're very well thought out targeting you know areas that we feel that will um, will really benefit and help children by parents be more educated in them. I, I had my daughter start secondary school just recently and we gave her a phone for it and how we managed it, whether rightly or wrongly, is there was no internet on it. Like she has WhatsApp because she was part of groups. She's allowed 55 minutes on it because you can turn it off after that. And there's no social media on it. So that's what we've done as the first step, rightly or wrongly. Every parent does it differently, but that's how we've managed it. Oh, hi there. Um, my friend and I came up from Wicklow Town and um, I know we were really fascinated about this initiative when it, it first started hitting the news. And I brought it up at our last parent association meeting. And I mean, all the parents were really interested in the topic. Um, but the question was like, well, should we go further with this? And, you know, I think we settled on, well, is this the parents, you know, responsibility? Maybe it's not the school's place, but, you know, what would you say would be the first step to take this to like another town? Would we get the principals together or do you think the parents should do more? Yeah, no, I think that it's a very good question. I think the whole thing about this initiative is it's a whole community initiative. So it's the principals, the teachers, the parents, the whole community working together. How you would know? you start it though? How would you start? So how would I start it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you were the catalyst because you were a principal. So how yeah, would you? I would think the first stage is to get the principals together in the area, and I know they're doing that currently in Bray. So I'll be chatting to them 
uh, later this month. So they've already got all the principals together. And in fact, they've got some of the secondary school principals together as well. So we're going to talk about setting it up. And again, it's, it's bringing it back to the monthly themes, what you feel for your uh, schools, what are the, the topics that you'd like to cover with your parents and with your um, kids. And then I suppose just getting the principals and the schools on the same page that you're all working together to bring in different initiatives into your school, such as the voluntary smart code and, and different things. And I suppose it takes a village. It's definitely bringing out the positive in everybody. Um, and we're hoping that it's going to be a platform that we can bring in several more positive initiatives, you know, like, um, you know, exercise, well-being, everything that goes with it, you know. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's getting the principals maybe together, getting the PTAs together, as well, Ben, and uh, the community as well. And, and perhaps survey the, the parents and the teachers, find out what they really want, because what they want in weekly time might be slightly different what they want here, but just uh, make sure that there is community involvement. So we put together a, a very simple questionnaire. And what did you do that on, on Google? Uh, it was done through the schools, yeah, I think yeah. it was Google Forms, and, and we're happy to share it if you want, but it's, uh, again, make sure it's 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 whatever you guys need as a community because we all want to have our say, you know, it's just, it doesn't have to come from, you know, it, there's an organizational piece, but just ask what people want. What do they feel is the most important thing that they would like to work on? And anxiety could be one, but it could be something completely different. So don't, uh, I think that's the key. To my mind, that's the key. If you empower people, if you support people with whatever it may be, and as I say, weekly time could have a slightly different issues coming up and you're a growing town and everything's happening very quickly in town in, in Wicklow as well so but just yeah just survey would be the next step and then you have a body of work you can say okay we can do something with this and um, yeah, yeah, that would be my way. Come and talk to us afterwards because we do have a committee of people from the community that are absolutely fantastic volunteering their time. So we'd be happy to go out and chat to some of your schools if you want as well, just to help Brilliant. set it up. Yeah. Hi, it's Carmel here in the back. I'll just go through a bit. Hi. Um, I just want to share a story. Um, you know, my, my children are adults now as well. Um, but um, one, uh, my boys went to an all boys secondary school. And um, one summer, I can't remember what age um, they were at this stage, but um, there was a suicide in the school during the summer, one of the boys. And um, so the school brought in a psychologist to talk to uh, the parents. And um, yeah, it was, it was a challenging moment for, for everybody, as you can imagine, because um, we all knew this person. And um, the, the take, one takeaway thing that I took that's helpful to any, any parent, I think, in terms of mental health, um, was that the, if they have one person, just one person in their life that they know they can go and talk to, that's gold. And I remember deciding in that moment that I want to be that one person. So you, you can't always know if you can, because your children might not want you to, to be that. So the family dinners, that's, uh, that's a really good suggestion, because that's the place where those openings are made. Now, we didn't always have family dinners or opportunities for families' dinner. Family, we, you know, we did as, as, as much as I could, but um, if you can't do it, you know, there can be someone else in the family, maybe a family's busy, 
you know, an aunt, an uncle, friends, that the ki kids can have a place where they can, you can create like that kind of home-like atmosphere around a table. And that's where those connections are made. So that, that was the one thing. The other uh, small thing that I would like to share that I took away from that was, and this was a kind of a light bulb moment that I had myself. So we were talking about teenagers, and I can't remember, they might have been in second year, third year, I can't remember. And uh, at that time, of course, they, they were talking about keeping, keeping phones out of the school, you know, away from the boys you can't have access. Now, <laughs> of course, it's much younger now. Um, and even at that time, I remember thinking, that's not going to be possible because technology is rolling on all the time and it's going to keep coming stronger at us, you know. So I remember that's not going to be possible. So the only thing that we can do, or one of the things we can do, obviously we, now that they're younger, and this is a great initiative, keeping, keeping it away as long as possible. But in teenagers, and we're talking about, we were talking about 14 or 15 year old boys at this stage, um, is to make them streetwise. And I remember having this light bulb moment that it's like, you know, teaching your children how to navigate going into the city. So that was the metaphor, those are the metaphors that I was using, was like uh, when I did sit down with my children and talk to them how to navigate that, was, you know, how, how would I say that? If I was letting my children into the city on their own, you know, don't go down a dark alleyway on your own. Okay, that's the equivalent of don't click on that link, you know, come out of it. You see that? Don't go there. So that was the way I was able to sort of deliver it. So that was where I found that very useful, is thinking of it, transferring it into like a physical, what would, you, what would you tell your children not to do to make them streetwise? And then create the equivalent kind of metaphors in the digital world. I just want to say one thing, what Carmel mentioned there, and it is something that is very much the it takes a village is based on, is that one good adult. That's what it, what it's called in psychology, is one good adult. So if we can all be that one good adult, that one good person for a child, you know, as I say, I'm here, my kids are well grown up. I don't have kids in school. I'm hoping that what I, what I can add to the community is something that might be a benefit to your little one that just, you know, born two weeks ago. I don't know, but I'm doing my bit, and I'm not saying that you need to give me a round of applause at the end, but, but do your bit. That's all you have. Be the good, the one good adult. That's all you can do. And if you can do that, there's enough of us to make our children safe and happy. Beautiful. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, keep talking. Don't feel alone that, you know, if you're going through something with your family right now and you might feel like you're the only person going through this, you're, you're not. You know, there's plenty of families out there struggling. So keep talking. Um, I'd also say, look, it takes a village. We do the parents talks every month or workshops. But, you know, if you're not in Greystones, you know, there's loads of workshops elsewhere, you know, keep going to those, keep surrounding yourself with, with parents and, and keep the conversations going. And, you know, hopefully then that way it will just normalize us talking about things like this. And look, we're all in it together. As they say, it takes a village. Yeah, I would say you're doing great. Uh, there's so much, this general conversation I have is I don't know, they feel so lost and they feel like they're failing and they're, they don't, they're not connected to their kids. And I would say that you are doing good. It's, it's it, such a hard, I don't have teenage kids, but I know from dealing with them that it is a really, really hard time to uh, bring up teenagers in today's society. And I think the fact that you're here, you maybe have friends that are listening or it could be online listening in, that, that, that's what it's all about. Someone said, is it all doom and gloom? Absolutely not. I actually think we are doing great because the fact that I am here, the only reason I'm here is because teenagers talk to me. 
And that is amazing. We've created a culture in 2023 that teenagers are talking and they're talking about their mental health and they're talking about their concerns. So I think we, it's not doom and gloom. We're doing, I think we're doing great. Um, and I just, I would say, uh, emphasize what Rachel's saying, just reach out. It's, we can often focus on our children and then we focus on our young kids and our teenagers and we try to build our life around them, build all the securities and we forget about ourselves. And then when we struggle, our kids see that and then they actually, it feeds into their kids. So I think looking after parents and our friends is actually really important. And that's sometimes the best way you can care for your kid is looking after yourself. Hello, um, that was a great talk. Thank you so much, it was really interesting. I'm kind of wondering about, um, I have a 12 year old son and some of his friends don't have phones and some of his friends do. And I just wonder if you have any tips about how to navigate that conversation when he might see something on someone else's phone. And then as adults, when we use our phone for work, we all looked at Josh. That's, that's, <laughs> that's Rachel and Josh. Right it's Josh. Rachel and Josh. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's a it's a battle, and it's fortunate it's, you're not the only one. It's happening. It's it's very common actually. It's, it's the norm that eventually some what, some friend group is going to have the iPhone. They the parents have decided it's okay for their child to have it, and the other four don't. Or your child is going to be unfortunately the only child in a group of all their friends that the only one that don't have it, and that is a very hard battle. Um, I think. Again, it just goes down to getting your child to understand why. Uh, it's not that you just have not given your child a, a phone. Because it's like if I said there's a big red button on the wall, don't push that red button. A teenager is going to want, I want to push that red button. But we need to explain why do you not push the red button. And it's the same with a phone. I'm not just not giving you this because I want to punish you because the child thinks that you're just punishing them and you're so annoying. You don't have a clue what you're talking about, mom or dad. Um, and what would you know? But I think it's the idea of like, yeah, I know that you're, if this is hard for you to understand why you can't get a phone, but here's why I'm not giving you to right now. And what can I do to help you in other ways? Um, another simple solution is if they they're probably will say, but that's how I, that's how I socialize. That's how I know my friend's going on that. That's how I know if I'm, if I'm being safe. And now you can call me if I'm late home. Well, then maybe start with maybe a little text, talk and text phone, if that's the age that they wanted to have, just so you know where they are and they can call you if needs be. Um, but it, it is, it's a hard battle, but I think conversation is the key point. And another thing is, when it comes to any of these topics, the terminology, everyone's doing it. They're all doing it. All my friends have phones. All my friends have this. All my friends are doing drugs. All this is happening. That's a lie. They're not. Not everybody is on a smartphone. Not everybody is addicted to this. Not everyone's addicted to that. So when they say that, it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Good recap. Um, I think we'll probably wrap up there. Um, yeah. Um, massive shout out to everyone here. Really, thanks so much for everyone for coming, for giving your own time and attention, for caring. Big uh, shout out to the whale and to Ross and the team and Paul. Thank you. And and lastly, thanks to Rachel, to Andrea, and to Josh. You're amazing. Really thank you, thank you, work. Thanks so much. That's and that's a wrap. Woo! Thanks a million. Thank you.